All right, greetings to all of you. We're so glad you're here. If you're watching on video, we've had some technical difficulties, so, uh, but we're going to get this right. So we are so glad you're here, um, that we're all here um, worshiping the Lord. Uh, last week, if you were here, you know that I, I challenged us as a church. It's a significant week for us. I challenged us to begin the year with a fast, by uh, fasting for all or part of the week. And a number of you said yes to that challenge, and I'm really, really proud of you for doing so, um, just really cool things. There were uh, we put a hashtag uh, CCC one thing, and so it was an opportunity on Facebook or Twitter um, or Instagram to encourage each other in the midst of that. And I received some emails and responses to blogs. I wanted to read a couple of these. One person writes, um, in the midst of the the hunger they felt, I can only imagine what a difference it would make in my life if I had the same constant hunger for Jesus, wanting to be nourished by His presence in my life. Fasting is a great reminder of what why we so desperately need him. And then another person um, wrote, I'm amazed at how much joy, peace, and patience I've had. I've slept better than I have slept in months, and I've woken up excited to get out of bed and hang out with Jesus in the mornings. I also feel like God has put um, a couple of very specific things or people on my heart to pray for. And I feel like there has been more power in my prayers this week. It's been really cool. Now, those are some great stories. Um, other people I've talked to said, you know, I fasted and nothing really happened. You know, it was just like I was just kind of going without food. And I want to encourage you, too. There, you may have been one of those persons who's like, man, it was just hard. And it is hard to fast. And maybe you were hoping there would be some dramatic spiritual thing that happened, and it didn't. But I want to remind us of the importance of obedience. You know, sometimes there's power just in saying no to things that we enjoy, to denying ourselves, to share in the suffering of Christ. And we may not see the fruit of it. We may not know what God did in that. And maybe down the road that we see the fruit of that. So don't be discouraged. You were obedient to the Lord. And so great job. And I'm just proud of our church, the way you all respond to things like that. Way to, way to press in to the Lord. To try. Many of you had never fasted before, so you tried something new. So, and I'm really excited. I'm excited about this coming year and all that God has in store for us. So I have a very cool announcement to make. Our very own Pastor Steve Offling has just published a book. Um, it's called Unleashed, Discover God's Extraordinary Journey for Your Life. It is a fantastic book describing how we can move out of our comfort zones and make a difference in our world. Now, what makes this book especially significant for our church is that it completes a trilogy that articulates our core vision as a church. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that we as a church have three core priorities, gospel, spirit, and mission. The gospel refers to our desire to live every moment in the fullness of all that Christ has done for us. And we do that by continually admitting our brokenness and by continually looking to Jesus as our sufficiency in our life. And so about six years ago, I wrote a book that describes how we can live this kind of gospel-centered life. It's called Good News for Those Trying Harder. This is book one of our core trilogy because it describes how we view this gospel part of our priorities. Then this past fall, I released a second book entitled More, and that book describes what it looks like to live in the power and the presence of the Spirit 
the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives, which is the second core value around your spirit. Well, now Steve has written a book describing our church's approach to to this missional heartbeat, living a missional life, living a life beyond ourselves. And in this book, he, he uses a number of stories, tells a number of stories from folks in our congregation who, who have, have exemplify and have, have experienced this kind of life. It's a great read, and it describes this core heartbeat of our church. So I highly recommend it. This book is for sale today in the lobby for $10. I strongly encourage everyone to get a copy. There are reflection questions at the end of each chapter, so you may want to do this um, in, 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 um, as a resource. Use it as a resource in, in your, your small group. Now, there's another reason that we're highlighting this book today, and that's because it fits very well into this new teaching series that we are beginning this weekend. Today, we are starting a series entitled Be Strong and Courageous. We're going to be looking at the life of Joshua in the Old Testament, who was called by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And in the process of doing that, there is one theme that arises over and over again, and it's something that every one of us here wrestles with in some way in our lives. Fear. Fear. As Joshua is getting ready to lead these people into the promised land, God says to him, be strong and courageous. He says, don't be afraid. And and those are God's words to us as well. You know, as we think about the fears that we all wrestle with, the issue is not about us trying to get rid of our fears, you know, completely eliminating them so that we never, ever feel fear again. That's not realistic. The core issue is learning how to face our fears so that we can move forward in faith, so that we can be strong and courageous. That's what we're going to be focusing on in this series. Okay, so why this particular topic? Well, for one thing, fear is something that every one of us wrestles with in some capacity, whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of what other people think. Those are my two biggies. Um, Or perhaps it's a fear of something bad happening to our family or a fear of crowds or a fear of the future or a fear of death. Fear is a very present reality for all of us. And I believe the Lord wants us to look at this issue. But you know what? It goes beyond that individual side. I've had a sense for a couple months that this fear thing is a very important and relevant topic for us as a church. God has some amazing things in store for us as a church. I am so excited about where he is leading us in terms of a greater focus on on people being engaged in transformative communities, in smaller groups, transformative communities, where this gospel spirit mission heartbeat can grow and be expressed. We're in the process of transitioning. I shared about it a few, a couple months ago. We're in the process of, of transitioning in this direction this next year, which is so exciting to me. I mean, to think of the impact of that, the life and the inspiration that that kind of connection can provide for people as they engage in gospel spirit mission in these communities. But not only that, many of you know that a few years ago, um, we were given 35 acres of land um, on, on 10th Street between Boomerang Golf Course and AU 3rd Avenue. And we have been earnestly seeking God and gathering input and information for the, for the past 18 months and are really excited 
about what all that might mean for us as a congregation in terms of a greater impact in people's lives and in our community. And there are some cool things on the horizon, some amazing things that God wants to do here in the next couple years. Very exciting stuff. But, it is, it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve some significant faith steps on our part as a church. And we all know that whenever there is a significant faith step that God is asking us to take, there will also be significant fears that arise, right? Fears that we have to face. So again, this topic of fear is a significant issue for all of us personally, as well as for us as a church in this season. And so that's why we're going to be spending some, some weeks exploring this together. How can we face our fears? How can we be strong and courageous? Now, for most of this series, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua, which is the sixth book in the Old Testament. But in order to set the context for that book, I want us to spend today looking at a passage found in an earlier book in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, where we get to see the back history to the whole story of what happens in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible or your iPad or your smartphone or whatever you're using now, please turn to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. In this passage, in this story in Numbers, we see a vivid picture of what fear does in our lives. You know, sometimes we let fear go unchecked. We let specific fears go unchecked. We just begin to accept them as a normal part of our lives. But God doesn't want us passively accepting fear. And again, this passage is going to show us why. Now, let me take a moment and kind of set the context here. The the Bible begins with a book of Genesis, okay? This is a whole, this is one story. Begins in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we're introduced to a man named Abraham, whom God calls to be the father of God's people. And so God commands Abraham to leave his idolatrous family and where they happen to live and to go to this other place, this new land. And in this new land which is the land of Israel today, God repeatedly tells Abraham that this land will eventually be his and his descendants. But God also tells Abraham that the process is not going to be easy. It's going to take some time. God lets Abraham know that at some point in the future, his descendants are going to be slaves in another land for 400 years. But after that time, God will rescue them and will bring them back into this promised land. So that's exactly what happens. After Abraham dies, his grandson Jacob and his family moved to Egypt because of a famine. Eventually, as their family grew, the Egyptians thought they were getting too big, and so they put them into slavery. And so for 400 years, they were treated horribly by the Egyptians. So then God called a man named Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And God miraculously delivers them through various plagues sent to Egypt. And they're they're delivered and they begin to travel back to this land that God had initially promised to give to Abraham. So this is a big deal. God has been waiting to bless them with this land. And now they're going to be moving into it as a permanent possession. They're going to be moving in to to this promised land. But there's a slight problem. 
The land is inhabited. It's occupied. So, so moving into this promised land is not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be, it's going to have some challenges. And that's where the story picks up in Numbers 13. Look with me at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Okay, so God tells Moses to appoint 12 leaders to explore this land and to see what it's like, to gather information about the number and the strength of the inhabitants and to find out what food is there and what's, what the soil's like and whether or not the cities were fortified. And so Moses does this. He appoints 12 leaders and he sends them out um, as spies. And one of these leaders was a young man named Hosea. From his youth, he had been a servant to Moses. And now he was going to be one of these 12 that are sent out to, to spy in the land. And we're told in verse 16 that Moses, before he sent him out, he changed this young man. At some point here, he changed this young man's name from Hosea to Joshua. Why did he change his name? Well, Hosea means salvation, which is a cool word. But Joshua means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And I think Moses wanted to imprint on Joshua's soul this truth, that salvation, deliverance come from the Lord, not our own strength, our own ability. Okay, so these 12 go out and they explore the land for 40 days. They look around, they take notes about all the things they see. And we're, we're told in verse 23 that at one point they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Now, this is not just trivial information, okay? Every word in the Bible is there for a reason. The author wants us to know that this fruit was awesome. It was so large that two of them had to carry it on a pole between them. This land is incredible. God had something wonderful in store for his people. He wanted to bless them beyond what they could ever imagine in this land. And that's God's heart for us as well. He longs for us to walk in all that he has for us. So the men return after 40 days. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at, at, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, I want to stop there. <laughs> See, they're showing Moses the fruit of the land. They describe how it's flowing with milk and honey. It is an awesome place. But, and I think we know where this is going, right? That one little word, three letters, one little word, is about to change the entire situation. There is pain in the butt right here, okay? Pain in the butt, that's a joke. Okay, there's pain in the butt right here. But... Give us the opportunity to focus our hearts, not on God's provision and promise, but give us the opportunity to focus on our circumstances. Verse 27, here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So, 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 so we see exactly what the but introduces. It's the reality of the strength and power of those who live in the land. 
yeah, the land's awesome, but there are some really strong people that live in this land. See, this is always the dilemma as it relates to fear. Fear exists because there's actually something to be afraid of. Fear exists because there's actually something to be afraid of. If these guys had said, hey, the land is great and the people are wimps, there would not be any fear, right? Fear begins to appear when there's a challenge ahead, when there's something that feels risky, when there's something that that makes us uncomfortable, something that feels bigger than us. And this, folks, this is the defining moment in this passage. Defining moment here. What are the people going to focus on? Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And a couple verses later, verse 7 of chapter 14, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That's one option. Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, they urge the people to focus on the Lord and his power and his provision. That's one option. But there's another option. Verse 31. But the other men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. So which option do they choose? See, unfortunately, they chose fear. And then this is the moment when fear begins to take hold in this community. And the implications are staggering. Huge impact. And the same thing is true in our lives. Fear is not a harmless companion. It is not a harmless companion. It is a powerful force that influences us in significant ways. So what are some of those ways? Well, this passage shows us. In this passage, there are th- we see three specific things that fear does in our lives. Three specific things fear does in our lives. First, fear causes us to focus on our inadequacies rather than God's power. Fear causes us to focus on our inadequacies rather than God's power. That's exactly what happens in this story. The the issue is an issue of focus. What are they going to focus on? Right? I mean, the the enemies are real. I mean, we're not saying that they're not real. Just ignore them and pretend they're not there. No, no, no. The the issue is what are they going to focus on? God's promise and his power that they've already seen The Exodus, right? They were just delivered from the Egyptians. They've already seen that. Or are they going to focus on their own inadequacies? And you you know the answer to that, right? Their response is almost comical. It's almost comical when you read it um, here. But but we all know how this works. Look at what they say. Numbers 13, verse 32. And they spread a bad report. Spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said... The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. I mean, again, the language is so over the top. 
They say this land devours those living in it. Really? Devours? And all the people living there were of great size. All? Really? And then, and then they say we saw the Nephilim there. I mean, the Nephilim is a reference to Genesis 6 where some weird situation occurred where fallen angels had sex with humans and they, they had offspring that were like superheroes. But that was, that was hundreds of years before. In all likelihood, the Nephilim no longer existed. They were just kind of a legend. They no longer existed. But that's exactly how they described the people they saw. They're superheroes there, right? And then the kicker, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and, 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 and we look the same to them. Grasshoppers. I mean, this language is completely exaggerated from reality, but that's what fear does. That's what fear does. It causes us to exaggerate reality, to focus on worst-case scenarios, which just get bigger in our minds and hearts. I mean, fear, fear causes us to focus on our inadequacies, which just grow, which just grow in our mind the more we focus on them. So what result does this have on the people listening? Well, look at the next verse. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? I mean, what are, the, what are they doing here? Here's what they're doing. They are wailing rather than worshiping. That's what they're doing. They are wailing rather than worshiping. That's what happens when fear takes hold. Suddenly our inadequacies are magnified and God's power is minimized. We end up wailing rather than worshiping. We focus our hearts on all that we're not rather than focusing on all that God is. Fear clouds our vision of who God is and it magnifies our perception of ourselves. In a very real sense, fear is the antithesis of worship. It's the antithesis of worship. Fear and worship are incompatible. I mean, when we are living in fear, we are not focusing on who God is. We're focused on ourselves. Worship, then, is a powerful antidote for the fears that we face, rooting our soul in the truth of who God is so that, so that we see fear Fear minimizing as God gets magnified. All right, so in the, the first thing we see here is that fear causes us to focus on our inadequacies rather than God's power. Second, secondly, we see here, fear causes us to make unhealthy agreements. Fear causes us to make unhealthy agreements. When I refer to an agreement, I'm talking about something that we embrace as true, something that we choose to agree with even if it's not true. And these kinds of agreements can be incredibly destructive in our lives. So look with me at verse 3 of chapter 14, where we see this agreement being made. Here are the people. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now what, what lie... Are they agreeing with? What lie are they embracing here? That God is not good, nor powerful. That he doesn't really care about them. That, that he's leading them into a place of destruction where their wives and children will be taken as plunder. 
I mean, these are incredibly strong statements in that passage that they absolutely believe are true. They are, they are agreements these people have made in their hearts. They are, they are declaring this. They are agreeing in their hearts that God is not good, that he doesn't have their best interest at heart. It's a total lie. But that's exactly what fear does. It causes us to make agreements, to believe things that aren't true. And the the impact is huge. I remember hearing John Eldridge share about um, he and his wife meeting with a a couple for counseling. This couple had come to them for help. They had been married maybe a little over 10 years. And and, um, they were were struggling just to keep the marriage together. And, And the husband just wanted to call it quits. He was done ready to call it quits and, and, and get a divorce. And so, so they, were, they were meeting together. And as they were meeting together, John and his wife, they, they started to ask the couple some questions about what was going on. And, when the, and they asked them when the problems had started. And this husband recalled that it started on their wedding night. They had experienced some difficulties on their wedding night. And, it, and, 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 and in that moment, in the midst of what was going on, in that moment, the husband had a thought come to his mind. I married the wrong person. And he believed it. He agreed with it. He embraced it as true. For over 10 years, that agreement wrought havoc in their marriage. He never really opened his heart to his wife because all along he believed he had married the wrong person. That's the power of agreements. It's amazing the power that these agreements have in our lives. Fear moves us to make agreements, to believe things that aren't true. And and just like the Israelites, we start speaking forth these lies. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never get a job. I'm sure this marriage will fail. God doesn't know what he's doing. God doesn't really care about me. We actually speak these things. We agree, we make these agreements, and these agreements begin to exert power in our lives. They become like self-fulfilling prophecies. They're like self-fulfilling prophecies, robbing us of life. Which leads to a third thing that fear does in our lives. And this is the most tragic consequence of all. Fear causes us to miss significant blessings that God has in store for us. Fear causes us to miss significant blessings that God has in store for us. I mean, the tragedy in this story is what happens next. The whole thing up to this point is tragic, but it gets really bad, okay? Because because of their fear, the people choose to reject what Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron were urging the people to do, to go into the promised land. They refuse that. And God says, fine, you won't go into the promised land. You will miss this incredible blessing that I have for you, that I've been preparing for you. You're going to miss it. So they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years until every adult male who had rejected the opportunity to go into the promised land, until every one of those men had died, except for Caleb and Joshua. 40 years of wandering in the desert. I mean, that is a vivid picture of what fear can do in our lives when left unchecked. It can cause us to miss significant blessings that God has in store for us. 
I mean, let's say we feel a prompting um, to, to go on a short-term mission trip. We've never done it before, but we feel like God is wanting us to do this. God is wanting us to go. And so we initially, we're kind of excited. We sign up and everything. But the more we think about it, the, the more uncomfortable the idea becomes. I mean, how will I raise support? How can I afford this? I don't even like to travel. And, and, and what if I get sick when I'm there? And, and what if they ask me to share my testimony? I mean, all the, you know, the, the, fear, the, the fear-based scenarios are endless. We, we all know that. And if we just continue to listen to those voices, we will decide not to go. We will decide not to go. And we will miss out on a significant blessing that God has in store for us. And a blessing in, in other people's lives as well through us. I mean, so often when, when fear surfaces in our lives, it is working to hinder us from something amazing that God wants us to experience. But we just say, nope, I'm not going to go there. Right? Fear just causes us to pull back rather than to press into these things that feel risky. We just, we pull back. But it's something amazing God wants us to experience, but we pull back from it. Whether it's a prompting to give more generously than we ever have before, that's risky, Right? Scary, or prompting to explore adopting a child, or prompting to lead a small group, or or be involved in some ministry, or prompting to pursue a new career path, or whatever. Anytime God is calling us to do something that is outside of our comfort zone, we will experience fear. We will. That's totally normal. It is totally normal. The key issue is not the presence of fear, but rather what we do with that fear. Do we let it drive us to God and to focus on his power as worshipers? Or do we, do, we, do we let it just keep us right where we are? Choosing to not do what he's calling us to do. To not step out. I mean, we'll have all sorts of reasons and excuses and rationales lined up to use when we're asked why we didn't do that, why we didn't pursue that prompting. We'll have all the reasons lined up. But you know what? Deep within, deep within, we secretly wonder, am I missing out on something wonderful God has for me? Am I, am I missing something God has for me? Deep down, we'll wonder that. I mean, think about this. The only thing that kept the Israelites from experiencing the wonder and the blessing of the promised land was fear. That was the only thing. That was the only thing that kept them from experiencing the wonder and the blessing of the promised land. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news for us. We get to look at this story in the Old Testament. We get to look at this story through the lens of the New Testament, right? We get to look at it through the lens of the cross. We get to look at the story through the lens of our Savior, Jesus, who took upon himself on the cross, took upon himself our failures and our fears, who endured the wilderness of isolation from God on the cross, right? So that we could face our fears, being filled with his very own spirit. In fact, I love how the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, how the Apostle Paul describes this in Romans 8, verse 15. Look at what he says here. I'll read this here. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. No, rather the spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, 
you received when you trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. See, the Holy Spirit within us reminds us that we are God's very own children. And he keeps reminding us of this. It is in this relationship, this experience of God within us that enables us to face our fears in a way that the Israelites couldn't back then. We have something they didn't have. So in those moments when our fears try to rise up and rob us of God's blessings, we can run into the loving arms of our Savior, letting his presence fill us so that we then choose to move towards these things. We choose. We can, we can take that risk because we're, already, we're good here. We know we're loved here. We know that we have everything we need. So we can actually move towards that risk. We can take those steps because of what's happening in here. The Holy Spirit reminding us that we are forever God's children. That he has given us everything we need. In the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can face our fears. We can. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come in this time of response. I pray you would bring to mind, they probably already come to mind, but bring to mind the things that we're afraid of. Bring to mind any areas in our lives where fear is keeping us from something good you have for us. And Lord, I think for many of us here, we, we've accepted this as just a normal part of life, that we're just going to always kind of have these fears that are sort of controlling us, and we're, we're, making, we're making more and more decisions based on these fears. So I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And our world is just becoming short, our, our individual world is becoming smaller and smaller. You don't want us to live that way. You don't, you don't want us to live that way. So I want to pray for us as individuals and for our church, you would help us grow. As we face our fears, we learn to face our fears. And I want to pray, Lord, that we, you would help us be worshipers rather than wailers. <laughs> rather than those who complain and focus on our own circumstances, Lord, you would help us choose to focus on you. Would you show us where those buts are in our lives? Where we, yeah, we know your power, but, and we, we focus on the other things rather than you. Would you show us where that's happening in our lives? And Holy Spirit, we ask you to remind us, you've got this. You've got this. You are with us. We are loved. We can move towards these things. We can, move, we can take risks that you're calling us to do because you've got this. And so I pray as we look at the life of Joshua in these next several weeks, Lord, I pray for you to help us grow in our trust of you. Help us face our fears. Just come, Holy Spirit. You, you know the fears we wrestle with. We, we welcome you into these places of fear. We, we don't want to be ruled by them anymore. 
you know, we can just keep every head bowed here, but I want to give an invitation. Just um, there may be some of you here, and it's very important that you pay it, that you that you hear me right now because there's some of you here. All that I've talked about in terms of the Holy Spirit living in us, that is not for every person. That's a, it's a special gift that we receive. A gift of a relationship with God. The Bible makes it very clear. We are not in, automatically in a relationship with God. We're sinners, self-centered. God's holy. I mean, he's holy. We're not. And the Bible says that separation is like a grand canyon. There is no way we can get across that in our own power. We try. Well, if I just go to church and I try to be a good person and I follow the golden rule, you know, we, we think we can get across that gap, but we can't. God is absolutely holy. We're not even close. Now, here's the good news. That's where Jesus comes in. He paid the price for our sin. He came to earth and he died on the cross. He took upon himself all of our fear and our failures and our sin and shame. He took upon himself all of that on the cross. He took God's judgment, the judgment we should have paid. He took it. He was our substitute. He died in our place. And so you see, Jesus builds a bridge across the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon of our sin. He builds a bridge that we then can walk across. In him, we can have a relationship with God. We can be welcomed into God's family, not because we're good people. It's because we've received this gift of Jesus. And I'm thinking there may be some of you here, and you've never done that. Maybe in in your own heart, you kind of think, oh, if I'm a good person, I just try to be a good person. I try to follow the golden rule. God will let me in. It doesn't work that way. We are hopeless without Jesus. But with him, you have everything you need. And so I want to encourage you. There may be some of you here and you're like, I I want that. I want to place my trust in Jesus. I want to enter into a relationship with God, a love relationship that's not based on what I do. It's not based on my performance. It's based on Christ's work. I want that. And if that's the desire of your heart, I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can receive this gift. This amazing gift of Jesus. You can receive his forgiveness and life. And his spirit will come and live in you. Changing you from the inside out. So pray with me in the silence of your heart. If this is, if this is the desire of your heart. Dear God. I admit that you are holy. And I'm not. There's a grand canyon of separation between us. And I realize there is nothing I can do. To bridge that gap. I'm a sinner. You're holy. There's nothing I can do, but you did something for me. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross in my place. You gave your all for me. You paid the penalty I should have paid. And I am choosing right now, I admit I can't get there on my own. I am choosing to place my trust in you, Jesus. I place my life in your hands. And I open the door of my heart and receive you. I receive your forgiveness for all of my sins, past, present, and even the sins I haven't committed yet. They're all paid for. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life. I receive your spirit. Come live in me, changing me from the inside out. God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray you would help them grow in their relationship with you. And, and again, just keep your, you can keep your head bowed here. But for those of you who prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to attend Alpha this Wednesday. Perfect next step for you to grow 
in your relationship with Christ. So Lord, I pray for those here who just received you. I pray they would grow in you. And I pray for all of us here, you would help us grow in you as as worshipers. Because we know fear and worship are not compatible. We want to be worshipers. We want to fix our eyes on who you are and how awesome you are. So help us do that. Even now, as the worship team leads us in a time of response, we pray that you would set us free to worship you. So why don't we stand um, as we worship, as we respond. If at some point you want to sit down, that's cool. There are intercessors available around the room wearing red lanyards. If you'd like to receive prayer, you can go to one of those folks. But man, this is the most important part of the service right here. It's not the message. It is our opportunity to open our hearts and to worship, to make agreements about who God is, things that are true, to embrace those things. So set us free, Lord, to do that. We love you. We praise you, God. Thank you, Lord.